You're listening to Essential Blends, a practice research podcast in which we speak to artists and researchers about their journeys. This podcast was created by me, Kevin Leomo, and me, Adriana Minu. Essential Blends is hosted by the University of Glasgow and is sponsored by the College of Arts' Community Building and Public Engagement Fund. Okay, welcome everybody to Essential Blends and uh, we are here with Mark Fernoon, um, who has very kindly agreed to join us on the podcast. And I'm super excited to talk to you, Mark. Yay, welcome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, we are in the University of Glasgow um, building in Studio One. I see a bit of mold, <laughs> uh, old TV. What do you see, Mark? Uh, nice Revox tape recorder. <laughs> okay. And some giant Genelec speakers, the, the size of which I have never seen before. <laughs> enormous. Yeah. Observation bias there. <laughs> you can see, somehow, mold does it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's strange where your eyes are drawn. Yeah. 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 Okay. And um, Mark is a... What would you what would you describe yourself as? Mm, broadly, as a sound artist, I okay. mean, it's a kind of was a slightly uncomfortable term that I've just kind of got used to as a coverall for what I do. What did you go through? Uh, well, I was an artist before I was a sound artist. Uh, I mean, I did work more visually. Um, um, I mean, that is my training. That is my background in visual arts. So. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's kind of over 20 years I've been kind of working in this field really. And I think initially that was a time that a lot of people who essentially were sound artists were like, well, I don't like this term. I kind of, <laughs> yeah, trying to think of alternatives, but it kind of just stuck really, I think. So maybe we should dive, dive straight in there. Uh, with the with the visual arts training, tell me tell me about tell me about yeah your your kind of artistic journey from from its inception. Um, <laughs> that's not too how far do you want to go go <laughs> back? Like, I was me born in <laughs> drawing competitions when I was five and yeah, uh, <laughs> were you? <laughs> I, I did on holiday once. Yes, I did win the, win a prize for my drawing. Amazing. Um, but 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 that wasn't really terribly influential. No, I mean, I, I think from an early age, I'd wanted to be an artist. Like, art was the thing that I enjoyed most. Was um, it in your family? or Not really. My dad did some watercolours and then kind of did a bit of painting. But no, not not particularly. You know, kind of very working class background, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the obvious thing was to, to go to art school. I think I'd always wanted to do that and I mean when I first started I was a painter and well first doing observational drawing painting and then and figurative stuff and then more abstract and eventually I started to find that I was just doing this because I thought that's what I was meant to do and started working outside the art school um in the environment, working with found objects on areas of wasteland. And this suddenly became far more exciting and was received much better as well. <laughs> so it was kind of a win-win. Um, and, it, and it started to get more conceptual. It started to become more about mm. ideas than, than just aesthetics, I guess, really. And the work with found objects... It took me into working in in museums and um, working with their collections or kind of inserting found objects into their collections surreptitiously. Um, and one of the biggest projects I did was was called the Object Library, where I filled a disused, empty library with um, found objects that were all tagged and classified under the Dewey Decimal System as if they were books. So it's kind of creating these metaphorical relationships between the objects and how they were categorised. Mm. And I actually ran it as a library where people could come and join and borrow 
objects for for a period. Oh my god, that is amazing! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. What um, what is your fascination then with found found objects? I guess it's it's the history and imagining the kind of history that these objects have had, how many hands they've passed through, you know, every kind of mark or bit of damage or wear on it. There's it tells a story, mm. and I guess yeah, I think it's the way it activates the imagination in in that way, um, and also that you can project meaning onto them as well. I think. Mm. Um, and really an extension of this when I first moved to Glasgow I would go to to Paddy's Market which is no longer here in the Barrows a lot um, looking for materials to work with for my artwork but also came across um, tape recordings um, cassettes, reel-to-reel tapes mm. and some of them kind of had very intriguing labels on them they were kind of they had, they would have a name and address even and and stamps on sometimes so there were obviously some kind of audio letter um kind of voice letter um, on tape yeah. yeah and i started working with this as material and became quite fascinated with it and working it into um my by my, my practice um i mean i didn't work with sound initially mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. I'd always had an interest in sound and music particularly music that well the more experimental end but particularly stuff that had sampled material mm-hmm. it was always the samples that I was drawn to in mm-hmm. music so if we go back to the art school where where, where, where was this in the library so my my undergrad that was in Derby mm-hmm. where I'm where I'm from Cool. And the library was also in Derby. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then moved to Glasgow to do the the master's fine art course at Glasgow School of Art. Okay. How was that? It was great. I mean, it was amazing as an introduction to the city as well. Mm. And, you know, some great artists uh, on that course as well at the same time. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it was it was this strange transitional period for me when I was starting to lose confidence in what I was doing visually mm. and starting to become far more interested in sound, but in a very tentative way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of lost faith a little in some of the work that I was producing because I think my my interest had kind of moved in a different direction (laughs) and it was uh, yeah I don't know I think at that time I was very unsure of what I was doing but it was also exciting because it was new and um, it's kind of a good place to be in a master of fine arts I feel (laughs) it is but it didn't bring a lot of that into it it was more experimenting at home like Mm. a friend gave me an old like four track port studio recorder Mm. and I started messing around with that like using these tapes that I found, but also just simple things, just like kitchen percussion kind of items that are around the house to make sounds with, um, but also like samples from from CDs and records. Um, and I also got a mini disc recorder around that time, mm. which enabled me to start making my own field recordings. So when was this? This would be late 90s. Okay, so we we have 20 years of history to still go through. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, this is, we maybe started a bit too early. I don't know. No, I think it's really fascinating because, I mean, I, I find it fascinating to, to hear this background and to also hear the, the kind of physical fascination with, with found objects. I like I'm making connections now that having listened to what you're making, um, what's the sound stuff you're making these days and well in the past like 10 years or more um yeah I didn't know that and it kind of adds this layer of okay like I'm I'm kind of seeing maybe some the the birth the births of some things um, yes I mean that's the thing some things have stayed consistent in, yeah. in what I do really it's just that the medium has, has, has changed, changed. Mm. so in the the Greece show you had at art school 
you didn't include sound stuff. It was still I visual. did actually, okay. um, but well, it was from one of those tape letters, but it was a very early piece where I just discovered sound editing in a computer. And was, taking, and was taking <laughs> all of the pauses and hesitations out and then found those quite interesting and strung them together and made the piece that thousands of art students have made over and over <laughs> again. Like, yeah, I, I think I can take that one. <laughs> take that box. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it, you know, I was well into it. I thought, you know, oh, wow, this is amazing. Well, I mean, in the 90s, that's, I mean, yeah. And and also, I mean, what were you editing on on a computer? Oh, I think it remember? was sound edit. Okay. And what were computers? I can't even. I mean, there's always a bit of a discrepancy between where computers were in Romania in the 90s and where they were in the UK. Um, so what, what was the situation like? Would people have personal computers? No. No, okay. No, this was a college computer. Mm, okay. That, yeah, I mean, there, were the, the, there was a computer room where you could use computers. Yeah. But I remember then even like doing my essays, you know, I was so against using the computer and hated it so much that I would hand write my essay cut like paragraphs and sentences out of the paper and like reorganize them and sellotape them yeah and then type it out yeah (laughs) to be fair I still do that do you (laughs) I just feel like particularly as you're like trying to figure out structure and things and like I yeah I did it for for my last year's uh, uh, yearly review, and I just kind of made a big table with like bits of the paragraphs and then like kind of reordered them. I think that material approaches yeah totally. Well, I've lost that now actually. So it was kind of good. <laughs> just got in too a way. comfortable with the digital environment. Well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, cool, exciting. So we're in the late nineties um, in Glasgow. You finished your um, Masters of Fine Art. What happens next? So that's a weird time for a lot of students, but particularly art students. You know, it's, there's no obvious career path. You know, it's like being an artist mm. and that can be a struggle at the best of times. So it's trying to make ends meet and keep making work. You know, basically me and most of the people I was on the course with were basically on the dole then. I can relate. After finishing the master's also at GSA, I was like, like what what the fuck do I do now? (laughs) And, you know, I would get occasional shows and projects, but, you know, certainly nothing that was earning any money. So it was like working part-time and signing on. And with a couple of friends who graduated at the same time, Mm. we had this idea of making a radio station. Duncan Campbell, he'd done some kind of radio um, in the past. And Alex Frost was was the the other artist involved. Um, And basically we just, we came up with this idea of running a, a pirate art radio station and we from a boat it, pardon <laughs> from a boat uh, we would have loved to have done it from a boat but no no we basically we drove around to different areas outside of glasgow mostly so mm. for a radio transmission line of sight is the best thing to get the most reception so right. broadcasting from a high point down is mm. ideal so we would go out to the kind of the hills outside of the city and um, we were very cautious because we knew what we were doing was illegal and we thought we could get caught so we would we'd never broadcast in the same place twice <gasps> amazing oh um, I love that sense of danger yeah I mean it was it was quite exhilarating and there was a time when I was out there with Duncan we'd um, we were basically repairing the transmitter from the car battery with crocodile clips and we had the 
the antenna strapped to a fence, like in a, <laughs> like on a country lane, and we were sat there e- e- eating our sandwiches. In those days, it was all edited together on mini disc, and then we just press play and leave it. And so, so we were there eating our sandwiches, and then a police car came by, and we were like, oh my god. We couldn't look more suspicious if we tried. <laughs> we were totally busted. And this police car just kind of crawled by. Uh, and, you know, we thought that they're going to arrest us, basically. But they just slowed down, took a look at us, and then just drove off. So they obviously had something better to do that day, <laughs> thankfully for us. Mm, I had a close call with a police one as I was uh, driving a car in the UK without a driving license. It was, it wasn't, for, it, to be fair, it was like two meters from the house. It wasn't <laughs> like crazy stuff. But that feeling of like, I'm definitely not supposed to be doing this. And you are very, very close. <laughs> and oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, we broadcast from various locations. Like, what I mean, the old like project room in Independent Studios. They've moved into the Trongate now, but mm. we we had access to the the kind of attic loft space there, and had the antenna on a pole coming out out of the roof. I remember like helicopters flying by then, and we thinking, "Oh my God, have they tracked us down?" <laughs> so, like nobody is even probably aware Remotely of what interested. we're doing, yeah, and wouldn't, wouldn't care less if they did know. So, but, but yeah, it just makes you a bit paranoid. <laughs> well, maybe raises the adrenaline to like some other kind of artistic uh, connections happening unintentionally. Maybe yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. all an ecosystem. <laughs> but the best reception we like we ever got was from one of the tower blocks and like a friend's auntie was away on holiday and they let us <laughs> use her flat like the 15th to broadcast floor and yeah <laughs> yeah and it was amazing <laughs> so how long did this go on for um like intermittently for three years i think okay. so i mean we named it radio tuesday simply because we were trying to come up with a name and we were thinking of also went to broadcast and the day that least seemed to happen when we'd most likely get people to tune in was a Tuesday so it became Radio Tuesday. So like when people are at home and not like out yeah Yeah. I see. Cool so on the doll doing fun projects (laughs) (laughs) how how do you come out of that or how long were you on the doll What, what what changed? I mean really it was a deciding factor in me doing another master's degree so it's like okay get a shitty job or find some other alternative it's like okay go back to being a student (laughs) i can empathize (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i ended up doing the master of science electronic imaging course in dundee oh cool so i was there for a year and a half as well kind of formalized some of the things i was doing i guess that's how it was useful Mm. Um, but I ended up making soundtracks for nearly all of the other students' work because they were nearly all visually led. So I was the only one really specialising in sound. Mm. So tell me more then. You are um, finished your second master's. You're back on the doll. Yeah. But then things are changing. So, well... Yes, it it was getting more difficult to remain on the dole okay. at that point. <laughs> yeah. So that didn't last very long before I I kind of went on one of these these kind of training courses where you get a little bit of extra money and um I mean essentially it gets the dole off your back, but at the end of that you're to go self-employed, which which I did. So it kind of worked, you know, I've been self-employed ever since and so, yes, it's kind of that transition to some form of legitimacy, but uh, still on a very low income. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so self-employed, um, what, what would you do as a self-employed person? And who so, are your clients? So a real mix of things from, I mean, very occasional kind of radio commissions, um, fees from exhibitions... Um, sound recording work for other artists, 
little bits of teaching, workshops, mm. residencies. Um, okay, so let's retrace these because I feel like um, there's almost a leap between being in Glasgow with some friends doing a pirate radio station to where it's like actually having people that want to pay you for the stuff you do. So let's let's look at that. What what's kind well, of that, I mean that, that was kind of gradual, really. So you know it'd be go from uh, doing live performances where you really kind of barely get paid anything um but i i guess i don't know i guess it just started to become more established in what i was doing and known for it mm-hmm. and then more offers would come in for for work i mean still talking like very low levels and even today we're talking you know it's barely in existence for what most people would consider yeah but you know i get by Mm. um but then it was yeah very small amounts um but you were in glasgow and you kind of like stayed in glasgow and had a bit of a community in glasgow and yes and i mean that's one of the great things about about this city it's like a very supportive kind of arts music network and a lot of crossover between those two areas as well. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, this is maybe a, a kind of false perception, but you kind of get the impression that perhaps somewhere, you know, like London, it's far more competitive and dog eat dog. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, you know, it's much more, friendly and everyone is rooting for everyone else and mm-hmm. trying to help each other kind mm-hmm. of achieve what they want to do even though it can be in quite different fields or kind of areas as well mm. i think it's it's your energy though as well mark i think <laughs> do, do you think <laughs> i do i think i've encountered for some reason when i did my masters at gsa i did feel more of that vibe but now having come back and maybe it's not a good comparison because there was a big pandemic. But I did um, I did encounter people who were a bit more or less about doing stuff together and more about just kind of helping themselves in a way in which it was quite sad. And I was like, oh, this is not what I remember of Glasgow. But I don't know. It came to show for me how. Like if you are kind of in a group in an environment and art school really kind of facilitates that, then you can really feel that sense of people are kind of helping each other. But if you're not and you're just kind of landing like in a bit of a where what kind of state, it's you might not encounter that so easily. So speaking to you, I, I'm getting that from you as a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, you you are right as well, I suppose. The dynamic has changed a bit and there is more of an influx of kind of more kind of careerist kind of artists and musicians. Mm. And really, I mean, there was a notable change even really when the the kind of private galleries kind of, appeared like the modern institute really not blaming them for everything but, <laughs> but in terms of the art scene it set up all of a sudden this hierarchy that didn't really exist seemed to exist before mm. you know nobody was making any money they were just doing <laughs> it for the love of it mm. then all of a sudden there is a gallery that represents people working in you know the more experimental kind of end of, of visual arts mm. um and yeah, people can suddenly make a living doing it. Mm. But then there's still ninety percent of people who can't. Mm. So so it did Not set up this yeah, yeah, this this divide in a way, really, mm. which felt a bit awkward. Mm. Yeah, I hate it. The sense of like when you're kind of competing with other people with friends on like that very limited amount of funding and stuff. It's like yeah. It's not, I don't, I don't want that vibe. <laughs> yeah, I no. just want to be doing stuff with people. But maybe, yeah, maybe there's a price for that as well, which is that you don't end up living in a big mansion. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> have yeah. your own pool and <laughs> 20 dogs and stuff. Well, the thing is, like, I remember, like, careers evening at school. And basically at that time, 
I wanted to be an artist. I'd wanted to be an artist for 10 years before that. Yeah. Like they were trying to dissuade me and kind of say, <laughs> well, look, you know, you'll never make any money doing that. And, you know, I kind of accepted that at that stage. And, you know, it's something that you do for the, for the love of it, for the enjoyment mm. and satisfaction. And if you can just about get by doing it as well, then that's that's all I'd ask for really hmm. it'd be nice to be more comfortable <laughs> but you know I don't know I, I the price I would have to pay to be doing a kind of like an office job or something I think oh, it would no. destroy me you yeah know? especially after having the amount of freedom that I have had for so long um I would find it very difficult so having said that what was your most profitable commission i mean yeah well i mean i guess uh, residencies i guess uh, that's that's the pinnacle really <laughs> i mean that's great when you get to go somewhere completely different and immerse yourself in a completely new community and it's essentially all paid for yeah um so there's there's been a few kind of residencies that i've done one in montreal a three-month residency mm. that was a kind of exchange with the cca and this organization called prim it was a kind of um film and recording studio which was incredible that was amazing to get to spend that time and and um six-week residency in sri lanka oh wow which was tell fantastic. me about that um, well, it was it's an organisation called UZ Arts, um, and the residency was set up by Neil Buckler, and it's actually it's more oriented towards like performing arts. So I was kind of in a way I was kind of lucky that I <laughs> got in <laughs> with that, but basically I just used it as an opportunity to make field recordings in as many different places as I could and. And as often is the case when you're making recordings, it gets you into situations and places that you wouldn't ordinarily get access to. I think just by having that curiosity and mm. and also sometimes, I mean, particularly in a place like that when you don't see many people walking around with a microphone, um, there's a lot of interest and people want to know what you're doing but also pleased that you're taking interest in what they're doing and mm. um so yeah i got some incredible recordings there and created a kind of long kind of well kind of epic Resonance. soundscape mm. piece so, i mean maybe a better question is what is the fascination then with like found sounds and field recording um, and sampling things that are kind of already there that you then kind of use in your own way? I mean, in the same way that when I worked with visual art, that like found materials, basically, it's great. Like, you know, the, you have to pay very little for them and you can reuse them and they come with all of these properties and associations already that you can then work with and manipulate and in a way it's the same with sound um i mean the found recordings i think part of it is is trying to i mean these are discarded sounds and it's usually voice recordings so these are voices from the past that have been discarded so part of it is preservation and mm. trying to reinvigorate these recordings with new meaning mm. by putting them in a different context. Um, why? Why? I don't know. I guess. I guess it's that kind of sense of of loss, really, that is that these recordings engender, and trying to. I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's trying to preserve things, really. I mm. mean, a very early experience with tape recorders was um, we were given a reel-to-reel -reel recorder by my 
it's kind of complicated to explain who he was exactly, but essentially he was my granddad. But okay. he was kind of my grand's lodger, really. But, okay. <laughs> but to us, he was essentially our, our, our granddad, and he was a Ukrainian refugee from the war. Mm. And he had this Grundig tape recorder and gave it to us at some point when we were kids. And we had great fun, like playing with it, recording ourselves, recording our favourite hits from Top of the Pops and stuff. <laughs> and my brother was more interested than I was really at the time. I, w- I was recording my favourite TV theme tunes by just holding the mic up to the speaker <laughs> of the TV and things. What were your favourites? Oh God, I can't even remember now. It's probably Dempsey and Makepeace and this TV cop show hammer or something. And, I mean, just rubbish, really. Do you still have them? Um, well some of them yes and this is the thing this you know we lost interest in this tape recorder went into the cupboard for donkey's years life happened yeah yeah and then i started to become more interested in sound again and got it out and started listening to these recordings we'd made you know this is my sister like singing nursery rhymes when she's like about six years old or something and Mm. um but also that I discovered, partially taped over, was a recording of, of John, our, our kind of granddad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, singing in Ukrainian, like these heartfelt songs. And we had recorded over loads of it, obviously. You know, it just started after some kind of pop music and then all of a sudden it was like him singing. And, you know, in, in that interim period of I don't know 10 15 years he'd passed away Mm. so it was then it was a voice of someone that I'd known and loved Mm. uh, that I hadn't heard for that amount of time Mm. and so it was quite moving Mm, I can imagine and I guess I don't think it's really set me on a, a mission but it's it's more it kind of made me aware of the value in these recordings and and made me want to kind of preserve these voices and that's the thing all of these lost voices on these tapes they're they're somebody's relatives somebody's husband wife uh, mother father Mm. and for whatever reason probably because the technology has become obsolete they've been thrown away but I mean I think I think that's I don't know. It's yeah. It's kind of a, rescuing these things in a way, and and giving them new life. I mean, thank you so much for telling me that story. I think that's really fascinating and very personal. And yeah, it's um, yeah, it's great. As in, yeah, I can like the the care you have for this um, kind of found sound, and particularly with voices, as I've been listening to your work you can you can really feel it that it's not um like a, a turned into a, a tool it's kind of like really taken as as al- almost a living entity still um so there is that kind of kind of alchemic kind of power and like forever alive kind of feeling that i i think you infuse into it really really wonderfully Darling, now I'm going to try, if I can, make a letter for you this way. As I have often told you, I've been very, very, very glad uh, for your tape letters. It's been so nice, you know, being with you that way because I knew you were sitting in your sitting room, which I know so very well. I could hear the clock. I could hear your bottle in the glass. And uh, I felt I was uh, quite close to you when you talked to me on the tape. I cannot expect that uh, you should find a tape from me as marvellous. Most of all, I think 
because of my um, terrible language difficulties and uh, from having tried to make a little this way for you um, earlier I know that um, I shall have to stop the recorder very often and that gives an awful noise I mean that's the thing as well I kind of try and use these recordings sensitively but I don't know inevitably inevitably there's my own aesthetics kind of come into play but yeah it kind of feels like there's some responsibility that goes with using this material and and sometimes as well there you know there are issues of of kind of well of of privacy as well and whether it's the ethics mm. of using this material which i don't know i don't have a clear answer to sometimes i think i've probably gone beyond where i i should with what i've used sometimes i've been more perhaps more cautious mm. but it is also that area that interests me as well of of the yeah public private mm. and and the, there's a voyeuristic aspect to it as well these mm, are like absolutely. windows on other people's lives mm. from from the past i'm curious what happens because it's it's a bit of a I, I suppose a bit of a um, stripping of layers of of particularly like record, field recordings um, that you do outside. You're capturing a layer of of the environment in, in audio form. So I think obviously you have a massive experience with this. But what um, what would you say then happens to to the relationship that the audio has to its original source and stuff? Um, I, I mean, well, I kind of believe very much in like the kind of Luke Ferrari approach of anecdotal sound. I like that sounds have their associations and that they're recognisable. But I also like to distort and manipulate sounds and alter them. And quite often recognisable and unrecognisable um, versions of the same sound will sit alongside each other mm. um so i don't know it doesn't matter to me always that it, that the source is recognizable but i think the thing this is for me not not for a listener listening to it every one of those sounds is a memory there's an association attached to it a very specific even when it's manipulated and changed mm. i know what the source of that sound is mm. so when i'm putting these different sounds together i'm not just composing with abstract material that i don't have any attachment to it's my my memories essentially that i'm rearranging and um combining in different different forms really mm, i think that's fascinating it's uh, really like a hypnagogic kind of effect i think as well yeah because i the reason i was asking was because I, you can hear in in your work that it's not like this kind of a utilitarian approach to it, that there is something else. There is like this kind of sensitivity or sensibility to um, the sounds more than just, oh, this is a texture that I got. So this kind of dimension of the memory, I think it's really, yeah, really fascinating to, to hear about. And, and also the fact that these are specific moments in time that are then combined in different ways you know so it's you know the the things that could not essentially exist that you know that these and, and a lot of the work I do with like audio archaeology is about that it's about combining sounds from the past found recordings with contemporary recordings of the same location mm. And this kind of friction that kind of comes from, from yes, like layering these multiple um, levels of, of time. A cool word, if it comes to me as I'm uh, saying this in uh, academia um, these days, is uh, the word hauntology. Oh, yes. Hauntological 
practices, uh, etc. Um, yeah, I think there is definitely something ghostly in there, isn't it? Of like, yeah, this kind of bringing to the surface. I mean, and it's, it's the thing, it's like in almost all kind of contemporary music, you know, it's, it's mostly sample based and, you know, every instrument sound that's in there is recorded from, you know, we're like in keyboards, you know, that's some of them are just electronically generated, but mm. some of them are actually recorded sounds that mm. are played back and then kind of restructured. So much music is is made that way mm. and it's i don't think we're that aware of it really that it's constructed from from samples and from all these different takes and different versions because it just flows in a way and mm. then it becomes deceptive about the origins of those sounds and i think a lot of what i do in my compositional practice is to make that evident to make those layers of time, that difference, um, more obvious. Mm. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And and a lot of that is going back to using like analog techniques as well, and and mixing like analog and digital. So you've got that kind mm. of the kind of cold clarity of of digital, but you've also got the the kind of fuzzy, hissy, distorted yeah. analog sound. Yeah um so yeah so tell me about the 20 minutes of of audio i don't know how else to call it i, I just i in my head it's the 20 minutes section <laughs> <laughs> um that you did for us very generously again thank you so much uh, for that um yeah tell me about it what, what's happened there well i mean actually the first part of that is probably a very good example of what mm. we've just been talking about that uses a tape that I bought from Paddy's Market 20 years ago or something that just had private written on it. Wow. <laughs> and it's this tape letter from a guy who, I mean, it turns out English isn't his first language, although his English is pretty good. But, I mean, he speaks about how he's kind of not fully comfortable kind of talking and this woman that he's sending this audio letter to he's kind of saying that you probably won't find it so interesting and i'm sorry i have to stop and start all the time and, um but it's quite i mean it is it is quite private stuff there's obviously a great deal of affection between these these two people and there's very emotive parts like when he talks about um hearing her tapes and being able to hear so you, you only know, have his tapes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, to he, he can hear the clock in the background that he recognises in the in the her tapes. Um, but he also talks about things like, you know, the the space in in the bed where she was and it's now empty. And mm. so I mean, it, it, I mean, it is <laughs> it's quite personal. But I don't know. I mean, the 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 people in it are not identifiable and. Ethically, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we could go as far as to say it's fine. Okay. But it's fine for my ethics. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> I don't think I could give a definitive answer on that. I mean, legally, you know, it's there's there's no issue. But ethically, there are there are concerns. But I kind of like treading this line. I guess. Mm. Mm. Um. So. I mean, there's, yes, in that kind of collage, there's various material. So there are some recordings from a residency I did at a hospital, at Fourth Valley Royal Hospital. That yes, was, I was going to ask you about this. So that was a two-year residency, which was like a, a dream, really. Two years, wow, yeah. It was long. like a day a week for, for two years. Um, but part of the remit was to work with the hospital radio station and half of it was to just do my own work and I mean the distinctions between those kind of got blurred along the way yeah um, but it was great working with the volunteers at the radio station and I mean I made a, a kind of series of programs called bedside radio and one was a kind of soundscape of the hospital another was 
called the Tonic Garden, um, a sonic survey of soothing sounds. So <laughs> like from times I'd spent in hospital, I realised how noisy an environment it is mm. and how difficult it is to sleep. And so I kind of really felt for people who were like suffering from insomnia or who had tinnitus or like were just kind of struggling to sleep in this environment and create this soundscape that could be an escape essentially that they could listen to on the on the hospital radio station i love how when you started talking about the noisy environment we now have a, a drill or something that's like going on <laughs> in the background <laughs> yeah. on cue summoned <laughs> talk about noise <laughs> But yeah, so it came, kind of came about this uh, from this idea of kind of offering some kind of respite to to the noise and something to take people's minds off things, really. And so I kind of surveyed patients, staff, and and volunteers at the at the hospital radio station about sounds that they found most soothing or relaxing, and created a soundscape from from these sounds so it's kind of ambient radio and really. the radio would be played back in in the hospital or yes well the thing is i mean traditionally they were would have been fm radio stations mm -hmm. but this is a new mega hospital so they took the decision to do away with the fm broadcast and instead they have a channel on or several channels on the the bedside monitors oh, so wow. every patient has one of these The trouble is that they can get about 200 channels of TV on the same device. So Why how many you? are actually going <laughs> to yeah. want to kind of listen to the hospital radio station? I, I don't know. see. But, um, so, yes, there's a lot of competition, but they set it. So the default was to go to the, the radio station. The radio. Okay, good. Um, the, so people probably just, what the hell's this? Okay, I'm on Coronation <laughs> Street. <laughs> But some people did 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 listen, and it, you know, basically ran on a loop for like two months at a time each each program, and another was just made from people's dream recollections as well. Wow! So kind of dreamscape again, thinking about if people couldn't sleep, then maybe they could experience somebody that. else's yeah. dreams. Instead. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There is something I think really kind of eerie and atmospheric in in most of your work, it almost reminds me of um, like these kind of AI generated images, you know, that you're like not entirely sure if they're like real or what they're really showing or, you know, they kind of have a mood and an atmosphere, but not so such a like clearly like identifiable, like this is where we are. We are now in Italy of the 18th century or whatever. It's um, yeah, it's it's kind of almost like being in in a dream <clears throat> uh, and I, well i guess when you're asking about my, <laughs> my aesthetics i mean i guess that's that's maybe what it is some of it's just my natural disposition and the sounds and atmospheres and moods that i'm drawn to i mm. guess really there isn't a lot of cheerful happy <laughs> um kind of music or or i mean occasionally there, there are kind of more light-hearted pieces but I think that really 
is is quite yeah it's quite a contrast to well maybe so, not a contrast but it's uh, adjacent to maybe the eerie eerier stuff yeah well i mean that's that's from like a group recording yeah, exactly. like from hasselhound so i don't know maybe it's other people's influence that's kind of modifying <laughs> my natural uh, disposition towards darkness i don't i don't know but but yeah that that was one of our biggest hits actually that was that was used for a romanian supermarket tv advert oh okay i think we got 2000 euros for that maybe i should know uh what, well what, yeah, yeah what year um it'd be probably early 2000s 2001 2002 maybe 2001 um I was about 10 years old. So I think if there were any supermarket ads on TV, I probably just totally <laughs> skipped them and did not care about them because I wanted to watch the cartoons. <laughs> and the, the only thing we asked was that we got a copy of the advert so we could see it and we never got one. So we, we never actually saw it, but we did get paid, I suppose. So. Yeah, so maybe in the most profitable section. Yes. The um, 2,000 pound Romanian <laughs> supermarket yeah, ad. for doing nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, you can have twenty seconds of that. I wonder how they came about it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it was on the label that we were on, Staub Gold. It was on this compilation they did called Childish Music, and which I guess that kind of fitted into. <laughs> I thought it was slightly insulting, really, but. <laughs> <laughs> Childlike. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so if any Romanian producer from like the early 2000s is tuning into this very <laughs> obscure podcast, <laughs> make yourself known. We would like to make the connection with uh, Hasselhound's um, track Limelight Cordial from the <laughs> childish, what was it? Childish music. <laughs> childish music collection. That we disapprove of the name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, super fun. Maybe it's a nice segue into um, collaborations then, because I'm quite um, interested personally in, in collaborative uh, works and community and all of that stuff in my own sheet. And um, yeah, maybe you can tell me how with Hasselhound and yeah, maybe Hasselhound's a good place to start since we just listened to the track. So, I mean, I guess really that was a a musical education for me. I don't come from a musical background. I was working with musicians who actually play instruments. I mean, I <laughs> I have played instruments, like, but mostly I was working with like samples, loops, like kind of the backdrops and the structure and doing most of the recording and arranging of all the stuff that we did. Um, yeah, in my view, everybody plays every instrument because there isn't one specific way to play an instrument but i would probably be shot in the head by the virtuosos so i don't know but that well, that's, yeah, that's, that's I where mean, i it's stand true. anyone can play and yeah. the other thing is when you when you're working like digitally like that you know you can just keep going at it until you get it right <laughs> yeah and if you're well. looping it you only have to get it right once yeah, yeah. and then it's like oh great <laughs> so yes I, I mean i don't consider myself to be a musician in in that way yeah uh, although i guess some of what i make is considered would be considered music oh i suppose if we start talking about the difference between sound and music we will go on yeah, forever yeah. So, so yeah let's <laughs> let's not get into that but but yeah working collaboratively i mean it was great i mean it's you learn so much from other people i think that's that's the great really great thing that everyone has their own different ways of working and their own different specialties and yeah. Um, tell me about then um, coming into the present and things that are um, exciting projects that you are involved in right now. I know you were talking a, a little bit about and this is kind of kind of related to talking about live performances versus doing something for radio and um, fixed media. Um, so maybe tell me about the Lights Out listening group. So, yeah, I mean, Lights Out listening groups been running for over 10 years now. wow okay and um it's a kind of yeah it's a communal listening event that was set up with my friend monica brown um we were working for a while in the in the 
BBC, the Pacific Key. Um, not for the BBC, but... In like, the BBC. Yeah, <laughs> running, running a kind of... Um, it was like a radio training program for long-term unemployed people. Mm. Um, and then that... Oh, you ended up running the program yeah. that you once well, on. Yes, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> Something like that, anyway. Um, but when that finished, we kind of like thought, well, we'd kind of like to keep working together in some way. And, and really, it was, I think it was Monica's idea, actually. Um, and basically, we we just decided we would do it and... I mean, as people, as as kind of practitioners working with sound, we we're very aware that a lot of the time is just spent in the studio, at home, on your own, with no other contact with anyone else, and with your vitamin D supplements. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, no no feedback, no one to kind of yeah, and it can be very solitary. Mm. You know, there's I like that to a degree, but mm. at the same time. There are times when you want to be able to share things or get some feedback or feel that you are actually part of a community instead of just Absolutely. stuck on your own in a, in a yeah. spare room in the house. Yeah. So really, we had this idea to set up this communal listening event that's open submission. Anyone can send in work. It's for anyone at any level. So kind of students, amateurs, professionals, anyone who really basically just wants to be part of this program mm. so if somebody is tuning in and <laughs> they would like to have their piece played at lights out listening group what do they need to do um well there's a wordpress site for lights out and if you just look at that there's an about section so but essentially sending a piece under 10 minutes duration or an excerpt with a kind of synopsis biog and some web links or whatever and basically it's put in a printed program and mm. uh, so send an email to lights out um listening group email at address gmail. at gmail.com well, simples yeah. <laughs> go on the website first to to check it out and tell me about radiophrenia then radiophrenia is how well how i i came to know your work so really i mean radio tuesday as we've discussed before was a the precursor, really, of, of radiophrenia. But, I mean, I have done various other, like, um, RSL radio projects mm. kind of in in the in between times. Some of them, like, community radio art projects and some of them more, like, specifically art, art radio, but very temporary, like, sometimes just a one-day broadcast. Mm. So... Radiophrenia was, uh, well, it came out of, as well, being part of a network of stations globally, art radio stations, where that was the outlet for my work a lot of the time. I mean, mostly unpaid. It's just making work and finding an audience for it. Mm. Um, but, you know, kind of really appreciated that opportunity. And in a way, this this was a way of reciprocating and kind of offering a platform to those people and, and many others. Mm. Um, and also to represent Scotland and, and Glasgow on that kind of stage as well, really. And it's on the FM, yeah? Yes. Legally this time. Yes. Legal <laughs> broadcasts. We will have a license. <laughs> All being well, anyway, so long as Ofcom back get, so long as Ofcom get back to us in time. <laughs> you have to apply, reapply every year. Yes, yeah. I mean, you can get year-round licenses, for... but yeah, we we just broadcast for two weeks at a time. Super nice. Well, we're kind of drawing to uh, close. We are way past our um, estimated uh, forty minutes mark, which was intentionally an estimation so that we can. <laughs> dance around that as uh, far and wide as we want to if people are looking for you where do they find you on on the interwebs uh probably my website is the best best uh, best way to find me um www.megaresource.com okay we'll put a link to that in our on, on our um episode notes as well um cool 
Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's well, been really fascinating. Thanks for inviting fascinating, me. Fascinating, as well. fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs>